Good morning, everyone. Okay, that was weak. Good morning. Guys, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. How many of you are excited about the Super Bowl? Can I get an amen? Can I get a go Chiefs? Anyone? No one in the audience? Okay. Um, Y'all, I personally love the Super Bowl so much because to me it is a great excuse to spend quality time with family and with friends, but also to eat way too many nachos, you know? Um, But something that I find really common during this time of year is that people start to call other people bandwagon fans of teams. You know, like, have we heard the word bandwagon before? Uh, In case you haven't, bandwagon is a term that our culture uses to define someone who is a fan of something for a limited period of time when it's popular, but then doesn't like it when it's not popular anymore. Um, And guys, this morning we are talking about something that we can't be bandwagon about. Rich mentioned last week that we are in this year-long series called Overflow, where we are going to be learning about spiritual practices together as a congregation, deepening our faith through doing that together. This month, we are talking about prayer. And guys, prayer isn't something that we can just be fans of for the four weeks of this month during overflow. We should not be bandwagon fans of prayer and then move on. The reason why is because prayer is about a relationship. It is about a relationship that should last. Last week, the big question that Rich talked about was, who can pray? And he taught us about the child and the widow and the sinner, uh, getting to us the fact that everyone can pray. Prayer is for everyone. And this week, we're looking at what is prayer. Following weeks, we're looking at how to pray and when life becomes prayer. Something that Rich talked about last week that was very impactful to me was he read Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. I'm going to read it for you again. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they shall receive their reward in full. I want you to notice something about this. Jesus doesn't say, if you pray. He says when, when you pray. Guys, this communication, this relationship of prayer is meant for us. God wants us to pray. We are supposed to pray. The big question, again, that we're looking at this week is what is prayer? And we know that everyone can pray, but how should we understand prayer itself? I said that prayer is about a relationship, but what are the elements of this truth that we need to understand as a community? A baseline definition of prayer is that it is all about communication with God. And I love how our overflow curriculum for the month describes it. It says that the fall of humankind broke the intimate relationship that we're meant to have with our Father in heaven. And prayer is the way to enter into an active relationship with the living God. Let me say that again. Prayer is the way to enter into an active relationship with the living God. But we don't see God face to face every day, do we? So it's easy for that relationship to develop into something that is transactional rather than reciprocal. 
What do I mean about that? When, when we see prayer as something that we have to do in order to earn God's love, that's a transaction. That's not a real relationship. Relationships are reciprocal. They, they go back and forth. And if our prayer relationship with God goes back and forth, then it becomes something that is active, something that is much deeper than what we think it might be on the surface. To understand this better, there are four things that we are going to use to define what the relationship of prayer is about. Uh, They are that prayer is the kind of relationship that's communicative, anticipatory, restorative, and protective. And we'll dig into those a little bit more later, but to understand this, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 116, verses 1 through 9 and 17 to 19. And if you like to take notes, if you turn in your bulletin, there is an outline of the sermon this week, and there are four boxes that talk about the four things that we're going to talk about. You can take notes in there. It also has the scripture references. Let's look at the word together. It says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me for a quick moment of prayer. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill our study of Psalm 116 this morning. Teach us what prayer is and help us to hear your voice. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the Psalms are often called the Bible's prayer book because they are written for us to pray. They give us words to pray when we don't know what to say so that we can communicate back and forth with God. In this Psalm, we see what is true about a lot of them, which is that the Psalms span the full range of human emotion and experience. Since Rich isn't preaching, I want to make sure you got a Dallas Willard quote so you feel like you're at Peachtree. So um, Dallas Willard puts this perfectly when he says, if you bury yourself in Psalms, you emerge knowing God and understanding life. Guys, the Psalms help us to understand who God is and who we are in prayer. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 116 brings love. They bring deep sadness and desperation to God. They say that they fulfill their vows to him in prayer and they make a thank offering to God. 
meaning that they acknowledge through their prayer that they need to thank God for removing the separation between them and him that's caused by sin. This is a deep, personal, vulnerable prayer. The psalm also shows how God responds to the psalmist's prayer, how how we should see him responding to us in prayer. He hears us. He turns to us. He saves us even when we're unaware of it. He delivers us from death and tears and stumbling. Our God is good and compassionate to us when we pray. At the time that this psalm was written, the nation of Israel was in a constant pattern of being faithful to God and then turning their back on God. But God's response within this text is a reminder to us that regardless of how the people turned from him, regardless of how we in the here and now turn from him, God is always facing our direction. Even when we're completely unaware of him, God is facing us. He's moving toward us. Who remembers when Adele's song Hello came out in 2015? Anyone? Got it? Okay. Like, I literally, I hear those piano chords, and I'm like, hello? Like, it, it just, it, it unleashes something in me, and I feel like that song unleashed something uh, in the whole world. And I think the reason why people loved this song so much is that Adele is famous for the raw authenticity and vulnerability of her lyrics. The psalmist in 116 prays the way that Adele sings. They bear their heart to God and then allow that level of pure authenticity to bring them back to a space of understanding God's love and sacrifice for them. But God is always saying hello to us back from the other side of our prayers. God wants us to know that he loves us, that he's moving toward us. Like the video before the sermon so aptly said, prayer is supposed to ground us in God's love. This is why I keep saying that prayer is about a relationship. It gets to the heart of who we are to God and how we relate to one another, to that reciprocal relationship between us and God. So now that we understand that, let's unpack the four elements of what prayer is. Again, prayer is communicative, It is anticipatory, it's restorative, and it's protective. Communicative, anticipatory, restorative, and protective. Starting with how prayer is a relationship that is communicative. I find in my life the thing that I forget most about communication is that it's oftentimes more about listening than talking. My wife really, really affirms that truth to me daily. Listening along with talking is what makes communication within a relationship reciprocal. And this is the foundation of communication within prayer. But if I'm being completely honest with myself and with y'all, a lot of the time I treat prayer like something that I just need to get over with. Like I, I dump my problems on God, I'm like, I'm good, I'm gone, on to the next thing. There's this really great book by Alex and Hannah Absalom called Hearing the Voice of God. And in it, they say that the goal of hearing the voice of God is not hearing the voice of God, but intimacy with our Father. The main goal of our prayer communication should be to create intimacy between us and God. And you get that by speaking and by listening. Intimacy means deep closeness. 
There's this prayer in Deuteronomy 6 that's called the Shema, that the Jewish people used to pray daily to create this sense of intimacy between them and God so they could remember him. And the first part of it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The Hebrew word for love in here is achav. And in its direct translation, it speaks to the kind of connection, the kind of soul connection that is only present in the closest of relationships. It talks about intimacy. And what we need to understand about Psalm 116 is that the psalmist who wrote this likely prayed the Shema daily. And so this type of soul connection, intimacy, love undergirds everything of Psalm 116. It is the backbone of how the psalmist comes to God in prayer. Prayer is about a relationship and a real relationship cannot exist without communication. Verse one of the psalm says, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. God hears us and turns his ear toward us. God is always facing our direction. He never stops moving toward us. So we can communicate with him. But we have to be willing to allow the communication to go both ways if we want it to be intimate and real. We have to make space for it, and we ourselves have to turn. Now let's talk about how prayer is anticipatory. It's like that, that feeling that a kid gets waiting for Christmas morning or for their birthday. Anticipation is a balance between excitement and waiting because it's centered around looking ahead toward what is to come. Some people have excitement in what they're waiting for, and some people have dread or pure stress. Either way, that feeling of anticipation exists because we are waiting on something that has not happened yet, and we're looking forward to what will happen in the future. And within prayer, anticipation is a tension that God is inviting us into. Verses three to five of the psalm say, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. I see a lot of anticipation here. The psalmist was filled with dread about what was going to happen to them. They were waiting to see whether or not God would respond, and he did. It's a lot like Taylor and Travis. I bet y'all thought I wasn't going to bring them up, you know? Um, I did. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. Um, but so like all of us, we don't know if they're going to end up together, right? Like we don't. We have anticipation about what will happen, but... but that anticipation, that waiting, it can be fun, but it could also lead to great disappointment for Swifties everywhere. <laughs> we see you, we hear you, Swifties. Um, Travis and Taylor will let us know if they're staying together when it's the right time for them. This, my friends, is the same as we get to experience with God in anticipatory prayer. We're going, whether we're going through something that is positive, negative, or neutral, 
We have no idea sometimes what's going to happen, and we're forced to wait. Trust and patience are the key elements to healthy anticipation because they bring us from a place of looking forward with fear to a place of looking forward with God. Now let's talk about how prayer is a relationship that is restorative. Communication and anticipation uh, in prayer all hinge on the fact that God is God, right? What is the point of prayer if you don't believe in the power of who you are praying to? And, and guys, there is power in prayer. It's a space where healing happens. It's a space where we reach out and God answers. But none of that means anything if we don't believe that God is who he says he is. Restoration is the process of things being made new, of God taking what was broken and transforming it to new life of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. That is restoration. And God has revealed himself to us in scripture, but he fully revealed himself to us and started a relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. The cross is the ultimate example of God's restorative power because it transforms death into life. And this is how prayer works in our relationship with the Lord too. Timothy Keller puts it well when he says, conversation with God leads to an encounter with God. Prayer turns theology into experience. Restoration comes through prayer when we experience God or when we are open to experiencing God. When I was in a fellows program in Nashville, uh, there was a student who I was mentoring that passed away unexpectedly. And it was really, really hard. And when it happened, I was asked by the church that I was working for to go to the community and to pray with them. And I remember there's this moment I was sitting in my car and I felt so overwhelmed. I did not want to go inside and pray with anyone. And I cried out to God like the psalmist did. And I said, God, I need you to help me. I can't do this. And I can't describe it as anything other than that a overwhelming sense of peace washed over me. And I felt the Lord speak to my heart and simply say, go and be. And so I did. God restored me in that moment. He did not take my pain fully away, but he restored me so that I could go and be with my community and honor the memory of that student who I cared about. God restores us in certain moments, but there are times where we still have to wait. There are times where he doesn't restore us in the ways that we hope that he will. But we have to acknowledge that despite that, God is still present in that relationship. Why else would the psalmist declare, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The psalmist knew God. And because they knew God, they knew that he wanted to bring restoration, which is why this section of the psalm is filled with thanksgiving and praise. They trust what God is going to do and who he is. 
And we can trust that fact too, guys, because prayer turns theology into an experience. Jesus and restoration are synonymous because Jesus makes things new. And we can experience that same newness when we go to him in prayer. The same can also be said for how prayer is protective. There's power in prayer because God is God. And God's power that brings restoration also brings protection. Verses six through nine of the psalm say, the Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, delivered me from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. In these verses, we see how our God is our deliverer, how he is our protector, even if in the moment we are unaware of what he is doing. He wants our souls to return to his rest, to the place of that Shema prayer intimacy where we can have a relationship with him. This is why God protects us through prayer because he loves us like that. Christianity, our our religion is built around the fact that God wants to be in a relationship with us. But there's also another key piece of it, which is that God exists as the opposite of evil. Jesus went to the cross because he loved us, but also to stand against the powers of darkness. Prayer is a space where we can join God in standing against darkness by praying for protection for ourselves and for others. In fact, I think that this is a very necessary piece of prayer. But at the same time, something that we need to acknowledge is that when we call prayer protective and when we talk about standing against the forces of darkness alongside God, this is not a call for us to tear people down. This is not an ask for us to weaponize our faith, but rather for us to act in love and to remember that by asking God for his protection, we are the weak and the humble ones, the ones who need him. We have to be willing to be weak enough for God to protect us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, the will of God to which the law gives expression is that men should defeat their enemies by loving them. God protects us because he loves us. And his love is stronger than anything. I love in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, how Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. This is the protective power of God. But it doesn't belong to us. It's not for us to wield on our own will. It is a result of God constantly moving toward us in his love. And when we remember that fact and when we use it in prayer, we can pray for protection from God and be confident in the fact that his love is stronger than the darkness that surrounds us and that it is coming toward us whether we are aware of it or not. Prayer is a reminder of God's strength and of our desperate need for him. So that's a lot of theological talk. 
Like, but I, I've got some action steps for you. So we're gonna talk about those. If we want to take prayer and allow it to be something that is more than just a bandwagon four-week thing, we can practice this by knowing God, waiting for God, and being bold with God. Knowing God, waiting for God, and being bold with God. So the first step is knowing God. We need to remember that like the psalmist spoke about, we can speak intimately with God to know him. If we open our hearts to know God more, when we pray authentically, he will make himself more known to us. A practical way that you can do this is to just practice openness when you speak to God, when you pray. Tell him what you're really thinking and feeling even if it feels like something that's not worth mentioning. Don't put a wall between you and God. Be real, be open, because God wants to hear. Let's do it together right now. I know this might seem a little unorthodox, but we're gonna practice this together. Uh, I will lead us in a quick prayer, and there will be a moment in there where we have a moment of silence. And if you would like to bring something to God, to be open with him, you can do so in that space, silently or out loud, whatever feels most comfortable. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we're here now, and we know that you are too. Please hear and see what's going on in our heads and our hearts as we bring it before you now. Thank you for hearing us, and we pray that our openness this morning will give us greater intimacy with you. Amen. That's a simple way that you can practice knowing God and having openness with him. Scripture teaches us who God is and that he loves us. Psalm 116 is a reminder of God's restorative and protective power, that they are key elements of prayer, but also of the fact that his timing is not always what we want it to be. And this is where the second action step comes into play. Wait for God. We've all had seasons in life where it feels like God is not answering our prayers and where he invites us into the tension of anticipation. Prayer doesn't have to be perfect for God to listen to us, though. He's always listening, but sometimes we need to wait. Personally, I struggle with anxiety in a way that can make waiting on God difficult for me. I remember when I was growing up thinking that if I didn't pray exactly the right way, that God didn't want to listen to me at all. Through counseling and also medication, um, the Holy Spirit is healing me. But my struggles have taught me something powerful about waiting for God, the acceptance of the waiting. As an action step, we can choose to practice acceptance within our waiting. We can acknowledge how hard the waiting is and invite God into that space. Sometimes I have to actually say to myself, God, this is the situation where I'm waiting on you, and it's really hard. Please, can you meet me in it? Can you wait with me? Guys, there is power in saying that. In our waiting, we know that God is still restoring creation and protecting us from darkness because Jesus went to the cross but we can practice acceptance as we wait on God. Now let's talk about being bold with God. This is where, to me, community is especially important. 
no matter what stage of life you are in, church should be a place where you can find community that you can be bold with. Prayer can feel intimidating because there's an element of it that requires us to be vulnerable, to be bold, especially if we're talking about bringing something before God or before other people that feels uncomfortable for us. But it's okay to do that. God wants us to be vulnerable and he wants us to be bold enough to understand that our vulnerability is okay. Pick someone who you trust this week. Maybe it's your spouse or your best friend or or someone from your family, maybe not your boss. Um, Someone who feels safe. And to clarify, I feel very safe around my boss. I shouldn't, (laughs) Jay, I see you. (laughs) Um, Feel very, very safe. Um, But... We can, we can talk about that this week. We, we'll do it. Okay. Um, but this person, I want you to practice being bold with them. Tell them what you need prayer for, and in the same vein, ask them to pray for you too. But do it reciprocally. Get their prayer requests and take them to God with boldness and trust. Understanding that when we practice sharing with others, it naturally becomes easier to share with God because prayer is about a relationship. When we're bold in one place, we can be bold in others, anticipating that God will be present. So what is prayer? Hopefully at the end of this message, we have a clear answer, that prayer is about a relationship that is communicative, anticipatory, restorative, and protective. But if you're at this point and you still have questions or it's still unclear, know that that's okay. Take your questions to your overflow group. Take them to the dinner table. Talk about them with your family or your friends. Dig in and don't let this month of prayer be a bandwagon thing for you. Let it be about a relationship that you want to discover. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, that you cultivate a relationship with us that is about communication, restoration, Lord, that is about protection and is about anticipation. Help us to anticipate you and your love, to develop a relationship with you that is real every day, that's not just something for these four weeks. In Christ's name we pray, amen.